Hello, 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 and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Podcast. So today's episode is a topic I haven't spoken about before. There's a couple of topics in there that I haven't spoken about before. But today's guest is Joy McCarthy, who is the creator of Joyous Health, which is an award-winning certified holistic nutritionist and podcast host, best-selling author of the Joyous Cookbook, Joyous Detox, and Joyous Health. She's also the co-founder of Hello Joyous, an organic plant-based beauty brand with a rock-solid mission to help people find more joy in their everyday. So we talk a lot, a lot about kind of the gut microbiome. We talk about is there a link between stress and the gut? Does the gut health impact your skin health? How can we improve that? The best skincare advice that she's ever received. Are plastics involved in your hormones and impacting your hormones and your fertility? Natural ways to detox. Different elements to improve your gut microbiome. And it's it's a really, really cool episode. So before I go into the episode, I just wanted to kind of put out a bit of a kind of a disclaimer. Joy is not a doctor or a dermatologist. The information mm-hmm. in this is useful and it is really, really helpful and really, really informative. But if you're looking for medical advice, please go to a dermatologist and a doctor. This is not medical advice for you. So hope you guys enjoy the episode of the podcast. So before I start today's podcast, I'm delighted to announce it's a brand new sponsor for the Shane Walsh podcast. So I want you to stop, think and ask yourself, do you feel like the best version of yourself? Are you stressed, having trouble sleeping or issues with pain management? Introducing Irish-owned CBD Self Premium CBD Oil, the natural solution to reducing anxiety, improving sleep and helping with pain management. CBD Self Oils are made from the finest organically grown hemp, ensuring the best quality and purity. All oils are produced the highest standard and are independently third-party lab tested. CBD Self have a range of CBD oils with different strengths based on your unique needs and are very proud to introduce their brand new product, De-Stress Oil. This uniquely formulated oil targets stress and anxiety. Become your best self with CBD Self. Visit www.cbdself.com to order yours today. And as a sponsor of the podcast, I'm honored and delighted to give you a 15% discount for all listeners of the Shane Walsh Podcast. So please use the code SHANE15 to get 15% off your order. Now for the podcast. Joy, how are we? Good. How are you? Good. I, we were comparing um, the cold snaps, but I think Joy won uh, like minus 20, minus 17. Yeah, I win. I win. It's way colder here. Yeah. Minus 23. Yeah, that's that's too cold. Yeah. <laughs> that's way too But cold. you get the dampness that we... I mean, we get that in the spring, so I can relate. Dampness is sometimes I'm almost like I want like when it's like two degrees you almost want it to be colder because then there that damp that bone chilling dampness isn't there that's the bit that kills you it's issue like you just can't yeah it really you. is yeah it is when you're trying to survive on hot water bottles and tea <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah um so for anyone who isn't aware of your background joy can you give us a little bit of a, a little bit of a brief background Yeah, totally. So I'm a nutritionist. Uh, I've been a nutritionist since, I don't know how many years, over 15 years. Um, I'm also a cookbook author. I have three best-selling cookbooks and I'm a big fan of food. So, you know, a lot of people think, oh, healthy cookbook. It's not, it's like going to be all like, you know, tasteless and gross. And no, so I'm a big fan of food. So I feel like everything I create has to taste really good and also be really good for you. And I also have a background in integrative dermatology. 
I'm not a dermatologist, but I've done a lot of studying and taken a lot of different courses and programs, understanding how we can better support our skin health from a more natural medicine perspective. But also I have a great understanding of the dermatological perspective of things too. So it's kind of like the perfect mix between, um, I have a good understanding of the conventional methods, but you know, I, I'm a strong believer in natural medicine because I have healed my own body um, from, you know, different, I've healed my own body from a severe skin problem. You know, when I was younger, I had hormonal imbalance, which I, I also healed my, my um, body from naturally. Now I'm not like anti, I, I want to say I'm not like anti-conventional yeah. for sure. I feel like sometimes it's like a combination of the two. But I'm just such a big fan of natural medicine, evidence-based approaches, you know, not like voodoo, witchcraft. That's what we like to hear. Yeah, that's all good. Because <laughs> sometimes there's some very outlandish things you see on yes. social media. And it can be sometimes very, very hard for people to dissect what's the right information. And then you've got yeah. like Netflix documentaries coming out with silly things too. And people mm. are like, oh, that's definitely the right thing. It's like, nope. No, I know it's like there's, yeah, we could go on a whole rant about all those Netflix documentaries. Like don't take your nutrition advice from a Netflix show, right? <laughs> yeah, big time, big time. And you don't right. take a financial advice of a five-year-old, but we still take it off uh, Netflix. Right? Yeah. It's true. And TikTok, I mean, so many people, I have like so many people asking me, oh, I saw this on TikTok. Like, is this what I should be doing? Is this supplement good? Because, you know... Someone on TikTok said it is. It's crazy. Um, I, had, I had to get rid of TikTok. I literally couldn't. I couldn't deal with it. Yeah. You know what? I I don't use it for the educational purposes. Honestly, it's more just like to laugh because there is some really stupid, funny stuff. <laughs> but, it's good. But I, just, I literally just couldn't get it. I just couldn't deal with the, the comments. The crazy? I just couldn't deal with the comments. Oh, you mean when you were on there yourself? Yeah, as I just couldn't creator? do it. And I was like, Joe. oh, yeah, that's the thing. It's so like, there's so much more anonymity, I feel like, on TikTok. And people can just really, they think they can say whatever comes to their mind. It's like there's zero filter. I don't know. I, I hear you there. I'm on there myself, and I have had some weird comments. Yeah. No, I wouldn't advise to a friend. Just take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. This exactly. person wasn't loved. <laughs> When at some stage in their life <laughs> they need a hug yeah exactly yeah um so think speaking of hugs uh we're going to talk about stress uh, yes. and the gut because i think this is a massive element because we're obviously in a constant state of fight or flight at the minute mm -hmm. a lot of people yeah. so is there actually a definitive link between stress and the gut yeah, 100%. So, you know, short-term stress um, obviously does things like increases our heart rate, dilates our blood vessels, um, shuttles more glucose into the bloodstream. But when it comes to how short-term stress impacts your gut, when your adrenal glands release that cortisol, it actually sends energy away from the gut. So this is why when you, um, if you feel stressed and then you go and eat a meal, sometimes it feels like that food 
is kind of just sitting in your gut like a brick um, because you're not, because those enzymes and that hydrochloric acid is being severely reduced. So when you're in the stress response, um, you know, there's a nerve that connects your brain to your gut and it basically says, okay, everything is on hold because we are in a very fearful position. And the last thing that we need to be sending energy towards is the gut. So, you know, it has a lot to do with our own individuality. Some people immediately feel it in their gut and they get, you know, diarrhea or flatulence or bloating. But then other people get really constipated. You know, I've over the years had worked with people who didn't have a bowel movement for like a week and they had chronic stress. Of course, if it is more chronic, then it can lead to more serious gut issues, you know, IBS and other GI disorders, um, inflammation overall. I think that the short-term stress is not really that big of a deal. Like it's a good thing that you, you can lose your appetite when you are in severe stress. And that is the body's way of saying it's probably not ideal to go and eat a very large meal right now when you're under stress. So there's some of the ways that stress affects our body. So it's a good idea to eat lighter. If you are in a stressful situation, like really just listen to your body. It doesn't mean that you like never eat for, you know, days on end because you have a lot going on in your life. Um, you know, of course, stress management strategies are key, but listen to your body. You know, if you have to have a really stressful conversation with someone over a meal, then that's not, you know, then really think about what it is that you're eating and maybe don't have that stressful conversation while you're actually eating. And you mentioned there about some people will get the response of when they get very stressed, the hunger will turn off and other people will get the hunger will turn on. Yeah, so true. How, wh why do people have just very different responses, the opposite responses? Yeah, well, we're just so individual. You know, we have obviously our, our genes that are handed down, but that only accounts for maybe 20 to 25%. But we're just also our gut microbiome, which impacts so many um, factors in the body is all individual to us. We're just all we're just all so different. Uh, and when it comes to some people when they're stressed, I'd say it's more common when people are stressed that they it actually can increase their appetite, chronic stress. And that is because cortisol, when it is chronically um, being secreted, actually lowers serotonin. And serotonin, as you know, is like that brain chemical that makes us feel good, keeps our appetite in check, helps us sleep and feel calm. So when cortisol is chronically high, serotonin is low. And so you naturally will crave sugars, carbs, alcohol, because you want something to make you feel good. Like the body is smart. We just want to feel good all the time. Um, but it seems to be like when it's more like severe short term, like, you know, something you, maybe you get in a like a fender bender or a car accident and you you like lose your appetite. Um, but typically, you know, once that stress goes away, then your appetite will come back. It's more like the chronic long term stress. That's why a lot of people suffer from weight gain, belly fat, um, because, in you know, towards the evening, that's, you know, when they're feeling more comfortable and it's like time to be, you know, bring on those comfort foods because they're not secreting enough of those hormones that make them feel good because of, of that chronically elevated cortisol. And of course, there's a whole blood sugar connection too, right? 
because your liver produces that extra glucose to give you that boost of energy. And if you're, you know, under chronic stress, your body can't keep with that extra glucose surge. So you can have like all these fluctuations with your blood sugar and your insulin and that in and of itself can cause more carb cravings, causes weight gain. And of course, chronic, that's why chronic stress um, can lead to things like type two diabetes is because you're constantly releasing that glucose to deal with that stress, to give your body and muscles that energy. But really you're just sitting at your computer or you're like on TikTok angry messaging people <laughs> and you're like secreting, you're like creating, you know, sh shuttling all this glucose into the body for you to actually like run away and to utilize it for physical energy. But most people under stress are not utilizing that physical energy. That's why exercise is so fantastic um, when you're stressed. Choosing the right exercise too, right? Because, you know, it depends. In yoga may be a better option if you are, and again, it comes down to individuality too, right? Like if you're super stressed and you go and do like a HIIT workout, for some people that might not be the right choice. That may actually create more cortisol, more inflammation. So like really knowing your own body and listening to your body is really key. Yeah, and there's the fine line between kind of using exercise as the only way to get therapy as well. That's a really, really yeah. fine line, which a lot of people can, it can. And I know myself, I've gone down that route when I get very, very stressed. I go down, I could go down, I have gone down the route previously of over-exercising in order to kind of mm -hmm. deal with what's going on in your head. But that's just going to put more stress in the body. And then you're kind of like, 100%. you're not fueling yourself properly, you're not sleeping yourself. And then yeah, everything else kind of goes to crap and then. Um, the, the next question that leads into nicely, which is in relation to your skin, your skin goes to yeah. crap. This is uh, a really interesting one. Yes. The skin is one of those things. I haven't had someone talk about the skin in a very, very long time or if ever I'm trying to think back. There's nearly, Oh you know, wow. You're like nearly 430 episodes on a new cow. Yes. A lot of episodes. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of, I think it's the first time I've spoken about skin. So how does the good health element impact on actual skin health? Because skin, oh. skin's huge. Yeah. So there is a huge connection between the gut and the skin. There's a biodirectional relationship. So the skin might, sorry, the, the skin has a microbiome as does the gut right? We, we all know that there are microbes and microorganisms that live in the gut, but a lot of people don't realize that you have billions of microbes that live on your skin and they actually have a relationship with the gut, with the microbes that live in your gut. And so your gut microbes, um, depending what diversity, what type of microbes you have in your gut, they can send out molecules, inflammatory molecules that affect more distant organ systems like the skin. So if you have a lot of inflammation in your gut, this can directly through inflammation impact your skin health and your skin microbes impact. The skin is your first line of, of your immune system. It's the first line of defense. So your skin also, because it has an immune system, also talks to your gut. It's a two-way street. And it's interesting because a lot of um, gut health issues, whether it's um, celiac disease, um, other inflammatory conditions of the gut, um, IBS, there's a lot of gut conditions that also have skin conditions related to them. SIBO is another one, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. 
is related to things like rosacea. Rosacea, a lot of people don't know, is a very common skin condition. It affects hundreds of millions of people worldwide and over 50% of the people with rosacea. So it's like redness, bumps. A lot of people think it's acne, but it's actually rosacea. And over 50% of people who have rosacea also have SIBO. So it just goes to show you the connection is, is very strong. So your gut regulates that inflammation and your skin microbiome is also very fascinating because the skin, the microbes that live on your skin, they have two jobs. One is to regulate, regulate inflammation and two is to act as a barrier, um, a protection. So you have something called your skin barrier function, and that's made up of the microbes that live on your skin. And that protects your skin from environmental allergens, pollutants, viruses, bacteria. So this is good to know for anyone who suffers from eczema or acne or psoriasis or rosacea, the skin microbiome and the gut microbiome are one in the same. And there's always something going on with the, the gut and the skin microbiome when there are skin issues. And you mentioned eczema there in particular. Um, what can be done to kind of work with or kind of prevent it uh, in a way? Because you mentioned that there's a, there's a definite, there's a link between that and stress. Oh yeah, absolutely. So the relationship between, between stress and skin is like really well documented. In fact, we actually have receptors for cortisol on our skin. And this results in a lot of different changes to our skin. Um, it can increase uh, the oil and the sebum production in our skin. It increases inflammation, um, slows the healing of the skin. Um, it also can activate mast cells in the skin, which can make skin more itchy and irritated. This is why when we're stressed, um, our skin can feel more itchy and irritated. And sorry, circling back to your question, your was your question, what can you do if you have eczema from something like, well, first you want to address like stress plays a huge role in skin conditions um, because when we're stressed, our gut becomes more leaky because there's more inflammation. When your gut is more leaky, that means those like tight junctions in the intestinal wall become a little loose and they start to allow um, food particles and allergens into the bloodstream that increase inflammation and can cause things if you just have a more natural propensity probability story to things like eczema then that that can can pop up so addressing stress stress management is really key for skin issues to support the gut health um also you know even though i'm a holistic nutritionist and i always say like skin healthy skin comes from the inside out also the outside what you're doing on the outside of your skin plays a huge role too if your skin is dry and you're not consuming enough omega-3 essential fatty acids, you're not drinking enough water, then you're not going to have a healthy barrier function on your skin. Your skin has this protective lipid layer, um, the moisture barrier of your skin all over your body protects you from things like eczema. And what is also interesting in studies on eczema, when they've actually done like a skin patch test, they have found that the diversity of the skin microbes in people who have eczema on that actual spot where the eczema is, the diversity is really low. They don't have a lot of different types of microbes. And then there's one particular microbe that's really, really high uh, in people who have also not only eczema, but also people who have acne. And what makes it worse 
are those common creams that people will, medicated creams like the cortisone steroid creams, actually make your skin microbiome worse. So you want to address the stress. You want to make sure that you are moisturizing. I know it sounds so simple, but if you get eczema on your hands, I'm prone to eczema on my hands. Uh, so I make sure every time I wash my hands, I put some like body butter, I put some lotion on my hands. You have to make sure it sounds so simple, but you need to protect that barrier. And of course, nutrition, nutrition plays a whole, a huge role in your skin because what you're eating every day impacts inflammatory chemicals, like how inflamed your body is. So if you're eating a lot of sugars, refined carbs, if you're someone who's sensitive to gluten, a lot of people are sensitive to gluten. If you are someone who is more sensitive to dairy proteins, especially cow dairy, cow is much more inflammatory than goat or sheep dairy because they have different protein types of proteins. Cow has more allergenic proteins than a, a goat or a sheep. So looking um, for someone with a skin issue like eczema, look at all the foods you're eating and do a food journal and then try a little bit of an elimination diet. Probiotics can also be really helpful, especially for kids and babies who have eczema. It's always the gut microbiome. Is there a particular um, strain of probiotic that people should be looking for though? Yeah, I would, because we're all different and all scientists agree across the world that the sign of a healthy microbiome is one with lots of diversity. So when it comes to a probiotic, I would always recommend using a multi-strain don't take like, of course, it's so easy to find like a lactobacillus acidophilus. Those are like everywhere in other, every health food store, you can get, you know, 5 billion um, acidophilus. But I would recommend actually using a multi-strain. So one that has at least five or more different strains. But I think sometimes we get so caught up in like just taking this like capsule when there's so many more things we could do, like eating 30 different plants per week. I know it sounds crazy, but it's really not because that includes herbs. It includes if you make like an almond flour power muffin and you have ground, you have like all ground almonds in there and you have some coconut flour, you have some coconut oil, um, you have some, you know, pure organic vanilla extract, like every ingredient that is a plant that you eat adds up to that 30. And I say 30 because that's, there's been a lot of research done on the microbiome. And they, there was a big study on the microbiome project years ago. And that's, that's one of the big things that came out of it was eat at least 30 plants per week. It's so easy though. If you eat like a vegetable soup or, and you, and you have, or you sprinkle on your steak or your chicken, some rosemary, like you can see how easy it is to add up in one day. You might have 10 different plants. So even if you eat a more paleo-based diet, which is one that I I definitely recommend uh, for skin health and for blood sugar balance, it's actually quite easy to eat 30 different plants per week to support your microbiome and therefore support healthy skin. Awesome. Um, you mentioned about hormones as well, um, because it's it, that's a massive piece of what I kind of work on with uh, with menstrual cycle health. And I think one of the big things is nature spark plug, which is magnesium. You mentioned yes. in the post a little while ago about our hormones will only function as well as the magnesium in our body. How important mm. is the role of magnesium in the actual body, which people don't probably realize? Yeah, it's so important. I mean, magnesium is involved in over 300 reactions because it acts as a coenzyme. So that means that the reaction in the body can't happen 
unless magnesium is there as its partner. So magnesium supports so many different roles in the body from like your heart rate, but specifically with hormones and healthy estrogen, magnesium is re- is necessary in the liver, in the detoxification of liver uh, for the production of glutathione. And so magnesium supports your detoxification pathways in the liver. You need magnesium for the healthy excretion of estrogen. And a lot of women who suffer from PMS or or endometriosis or other like hormonal issues, a lot of times you'll find that they're constipated or they're not having good bowel movements. And so what's happening is that waste matter is sitting in their gut and those toxins and those, those, um, those estrogens and those hormones that were meant to be excreted when they have a bowel movement get actually reabsorbed into the bloodstream. So they're not detoxing them properly. Cause obviously once it, the one, if the liver is doing its job, the liver is shuttling, um, with the help of glutathione, uh, the liver is getting rid of estrogen and the body gets rid of estrogen by, you know, when you have a, when you go poop, that's how you're getting rid. <laughs> so like just getting people pooping better for women can reduce breast tenderness, fibroids, heavy periods, cramps, all of that. And magnesium is so important for all of these things because magnesium is so key to help you detoxify excess estrogen. And of course, magnesium is so key um, for, in general, for, for women, menstruating women for things like cramps. Because magnesium, as you know, is a muscle relaxant. So if you don't have enough magnesium in your body, you're going to be someone who cramps more. And it's not just like, we think of lack of magnesium when in the middle of the night, we get like a calf cramp. Like, oh, I don't have enough electrolytes. I don't have enough magnesium. Well, think about the uterus too. (laughs) The uterus, when you have a monthly cycle is contracting. So if you don't have enough magnesium, then how can that muscle like do its job without giving you pain? Yeah, it's a good way to look at it. And is there a particular type of magnesium that you should take? Well, it depends what you're taking it for. So, uh, you know, there's many different forms of magnesium. The the, I'd say one of the the ones that most people need, like for sleep and relaxation, would be magnesium bisglycinate. But you know, like cheaper forms, like magnesium citrate, isn't terrible. Uh, it's just not as well absorbed. Magnesium oxide, definitely don't take. You're going to see that in all the cheapest sub- supplements for sure. Um, the discount brands, the ones that are on sale are always magnesium oxide. So bisglycinate is the most ideal option. For people who have um, constipation once in a while, say when you travel or you just get constipated maybe certain times of the month based on your hormones, magnesium citrate is a really good natural laxative. Um, so it, you just don't want, it's not something you want to rely on, but I do think it's beneficial to make sure you're going to the washroom regularly because that's going to impact your health in so many different ways. So that's when magnesium citrate can be helpful to take at night. If you're someone who suffers from constipation once in a while, it would not be something you want to be taking every day. And that's because magnesium citrate draws water to the bowels and then it softens the stool softens the poop and allows you to to poop more easily. And everyone has like a different bowel tolerance with magnesium citrate. So, you know, you want to be careful the first time taking it. You don't take too much because it can cause, uh, it can make your gut feel uncomfortable. So you just take like a small amount and then increase the next night if you don't find that it's helping you have a bowel movement. 
Awesome. I mean, that's really good advice there. So yeah, stay away from oxide, basically. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, stress, anxiety, more stress, trouble sleeping. It's a continuous negative cycle. This seems to be the norm for modern life. It doesn't always have to be like this, though. Try CBD Self's uniquely formulated combination of CBD and CBG de-stress oil. Designed to help naturally reduce stress and anxiety. Become your best self with CBD Self. Check out the website www.cbdself.com and use Shane15 to get a 15% discount off your order. One of the things that's kind of out there an awful lot is in relation to plastics and the Mm. impact that it can play on hormones, fertility, and maybe some other health issues as well. Is this kind of, are these statements or is this sentiment, is it being overplayed or do you feel it's downplayed or is it like normally with nutrition, it's like somewhere in the middle? Where is it? Oh, it's totally downplayed. It's downplayed big time how bad it is. There are microplastics everywhere. There are microplastics in the air. They've found microplastics in the North Pole, in the snow, in the South Pole. It's in the water. It's in our food microplastics are literally wherever scientists have looked in the entire world, they have found microplastics. It's nuts. So uh, last year, I interviewed an epidemiologist named Dr. Shauna Swan. She is out of the US and she has been studying phthalates. That's that funny word that starts with a P, PH. She's been studying phthalates for a very long time. And phthalates are a group of chemicals that you find in plastic and they help plastics be soft. So if you think of where you might find phthalates in food packaging, you find them in beauty products as an ingredient because they have other uses. You find them in a shower curtain, um, certain types of flooring, like vinyl flooring, anything that's vinyl will have phthalates. So her research, so it's a plastic molecule. That's what phthalates are. And phthalates are also found in fragrance. You know, when you like hug someone who's wearing perfume or cologne and then you smell your shirt and, or your jacket, you don't wash your jacket every day. Obviously you smell your jacket like three weeks later and it still smells like them. That is because phthalates have adhered that smell via the plastic, it's a plastic molecule to your clothing. And you now have those phthalates on your skin, on your, sorry, on your clothing. They do a really good job at sticking fragrance to your body. So whenever you see a product that lists fragrance or perfume as an ingredient, you should always avoid. So circling back to Dr. Shauna Swan, her research is very scary and very eye-opening because what she has specifically found, she has found that men with high phthalate phthalate exposure and who had mothers who had high phthalic phthalate exposure during pregnancy have smaller genitals and a shorter taint size. So she, <laughs> sounds very weird, but if you search doc, Dr. Shauna Swan, this is taking a yes, turn. <laughs> she measured babies, baby boys taint size. So for people who don't know, that's kind of like a slang term for the distance between the anus I believe it's the anus and the scrotum. I yeah. may be getting that. Yeah. Okay, so phthalates, plastic molecules, shorten that and reduce fertility and may and reduce the size of genitals. And so that was the mainstay of her research. And she tried to blast it out to as many people as possible. In fact, she was actually on Joe Rogan. 
um, a couple years ago as well. I know he's such a controversial person, but I was actually really glad that he, she was on there because she was like really getting that message out. So yes, phthalates and plastic molecules are hormone disrupting chemicals along with so many other chemicals out there. Pesticides, um, when pesticides are estrogenic, when we ingest pesticides or breathe them in, pesticides attach to our estrogen receptors where you want your own body's estrogen to attach. But xenoestrogens, meaning estrogens coming out from outside the body, whether it's from phthalates or from pesticides, the foods we're eating, they attach to estrogen instead of our own estrogen and they mimic estrogen. They decide, so they, they can increase, they can alter um, that receptor's function. But for a lot of people, this is why so many people, men and women, have estrogen dominance. So it's not being downplayed and anything you can do to reduce your consumption of plastics, your ingestion of plastics is really key. And it's more than just like reducing your use of single use plastics. Like I feel like in Europe, it's a lot better. People like in North America, it is terrible. I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, but whenever I go to, I go to Austria every summer and you don't, you don't see as much plastic pollution as you do in North America, like the number of people still using plastic water bottles is like mind blowing to me. Yeah, I would like to know. Like in Ireland, it wouldn't be great. Like it, it it's not great in Ireland. Um, yeah, but we're kind of a bit slow on everything. To be honest with you, we, <laughs> we're normally last to pick up the news. So really, we're, yeah, we're normally we're no, we're normally slow. Uh, I didn't think from when I when. When I messaged you about coming on, I didn't think we were going to talk about skin to the taint. I didn't think we were going to go that, <laughs> that deep into the conversation. Well, you know what? At the beginning, when you told me, Joy, it's okay if you swear, then I was like, okay, it's okay that for me to talk about that stuff. You know, there is a more scientific term for taint. And I actually- The less scientific remember. term for it as well, which I was going to say, but I won't. So- uh, yeah, yeah, no, I can't remember what I was like trying to remember what it is. No, there's definitely a less scientific term, but I won't say it. There's probably kids listening to this with their parents <laughs> in the car. So I won't, I won't go down that route. Um, you mentioned detox uh, mm-hmm. before. I think when people- especially with this January buzz that people are on at the minute. It's kind of like, oh, I'm going to go on a detox. I'm like, no, you're not. Um, yeah. What, what are the best ways to detox naturally? Yeah. So I've actually written an entire book called Joyous Detox. And the concept of my book and what I always recommend is that you want to be doing things every single day that help your body detoxify. Why? Because your liver and your organs of detoxification are working 24 hours a day. They don't just work in the spring for two weeks when you decide to do the master cleanse and then go back to drinking beer and eating wings every day. Okay. So your body is detoxifying every day, which means you want to consume foods and have habits that support the liver's phase one and phase two levels of detoxification. You need to eat specific foods that have specific nutrients like magnesium, like coenzyme Q10, like different B vitamins. These nutrients are required for your body to be able to identify toxins that either you breathe in or come in through your, through your diet. You need these foods, you need these nutrients to help your liver identify the toxin and um, reduce its danger uh, it's toxic exposure, and then your body needs to eliminate that toxin, usually through your bowel movements. It could also be when you urinate, 
through your sweat. There's many different ways your body detoxifies. So my point is that like every day, eat foods. You don't have to be thinking, oh, does this have enough magnesium? Does my smoothie have enough coenzyme Q10? I don't want to stress people out. All I mean by that is like eat things like eat beets, artichokes, um, green tea or matcha, uh, pomegranate seeds, um, eat lots of different colorful fruits and vegetables because color is a cue for health. And what give foods their color are phytonutrients. So with beets, you can look like beets contain something called betalanes. Beetaline, I always say it wrong. And that is that supports that acts as an antioxidant to actually protect your liver. Because sometimes you're when like we're always taking in toxins, but sometimes there are certain toxins we take in that the liver actually has to convert it to a more toxic substance because it goes through phase one and then it has to be sent through another phase where the toxin is actually made more toxic before it can be kind of neutralized. So you need to also make sure you have a lot of antioxidants present so that you don't have damage in your liver when you're constantly detoxing alcohol, you know, whatever toxins you're taking in. And, you know, when I say toxins, sometimes people think, oh, well, I'm not like working in a factory. I don't live like next door to, you know, some belching smokestack releasing all these toxins. But the reality is we are exposed to various chemicals, toxins every day. So what can you do to just improve your diet? Those are simple things. Eat a rainbow, buy colorful foods, buy natural means, sweat, get your heart rate up every day, increase your body's circulation. When you increase circulation, this just helps your body function more optimally, helps you detox better. Um, so like sweating, I'm a big fan of saunas. I have an infrared sauna in my home and it just, there's so much fascinating research now on saunas um, beyond just like detox, even like reducing the risk of Alzheimer's and dementia, are saunas a big thing in Ireland? Are people into that? They're getting a little bit bigger. Yeah, they're getting they're getting bigger. A lot of people are into the um, the lumi therapy things at the minute, which is the ice baths. Uh, and then people, what is that? They're like ice baths, or like you, they're inflatable ice baths that you can stick out in your backyard. Oh, an ice bath. Got it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So doing uh, the sauna and the so ice a lot bath. of people are into that in January. I'd rather play in traffic, but a lot of people <laughs> are into it. And then there's also the there's a lot of kind of there's a big place out near my family home which is one of the main places in dublin where people go swimming and they've kind of got like a sauna beside that oh, sometimes cool. like a company comes and puts a sauna there so people go go into that but yeah it's That's definitely ideal getting to yeah. go to get warm again after you you do after the cold RC, definitely yeah uh, cold plunging is really popular here in north america now too but kind of doing the <laughs> doing the to the cold plunge and the and then doing the sauna i can i've done it a bunch of times like there's there's a place here in toronto that they have ice baths and then they have a sauna so you do the sauna first for like 20 minutes and then you go in the ice bath and then you go back in the sauna i really like it you know what every time i go i'm like wow my skin has never looked this good like the sweat just like getting like it's just so cleansing. A certain glow and this. Oh certain my gosh! Is, totally, yeah. totally. Yeah. Big time. I just rather stay in the sauna. Be fine. Yeah, yeah, I get uh, it. <laughs> um, in relation to the 
you you put up a post about kind of like the six signs that your skin microbiome needs help. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the stuff that we've kind of been talking about, there's a lot of overlap between a lot of different pieces about exercising, managing your health, managing your nutrition, eating the rainbow, diversify your, your, your vegetables and stuff. What are the six signs your actual skin microbiome needs help? Yeah. So there's a bunch of signs. Um, Dry, flaky skin is one. Uh, Skin that is, if you find like you're really sensitive to the cold or the wind, so skin that's sensitive to environmental changes. By the way, um, rosacea is a skin condition where the microbiome, the skin microbiome is off. And did you know that people of Celtic descent are at the highest risk for rosacea? So, you know, if your listeners are like, oh, yeah, like my skin is so sensitive to the cold, your skin microbiome may be off. And we can we can talk about different ways to like bring it back into balance. Um, Number three is so skin that's overly sensitive. So if you're easily irritated by topical products, if your skin is sensitive, it actually means your skin has been sensitized. No one is really born with sensitive skin. So that can be an indication of the skin microbiome off, um, skin that's just red, irritated, um, oily, acne prone skin, and then skin disorders, of course, um, rosacea, eczema, acne, psoriasis, and more all signs your skin microbiome is off, but there's a lot of things, of course, you can do to bring it back into balance. You know, don't be using these foaming cleansers, never, ever use soap on your face. Soap is like a nine or 10 on the pH scale and your skin is way more acidic. Your skin is around like a five and a half. So if you're using soap or you're using these foaming cleansers, that is way too high for your microbes to thrive. Your microbes on your, in your skin, like a more acidic environment. And so your skin microbiome is part of that protective barrier. So if you have a healthy skin microbiome, then cold weather, wind, sun, you'll have sort of a natural protection. You know, you, you won't be someone who has to, every time you go out in the sun, slather on the sunscreen. So that's why people, for example, with rosacea have a compromised skin microbiome, therefore always have to wear sunscreen when they go outside. Yeah, that would happen to a lot of, a lot of Irish people, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my background is Irish too, McCarthy, as yeah. you know, my last name. So, you know, I have a lot of rosacea in my family. My cousins had it, have it. My grandfather had it. So it wasn't surprising that I developed severe rosacea, but I don't have it anymore. But I still have to be careful with my skin. You know, if I start using soap again, you know, or not doing proper skincare and not, you know, having using products that are too alkaline. So many people don't understand the importance of the acid alkaline balance of your skin. It is really, really key. Also for aging too. Um, That's something I care about. I don't want to look, you know, when I'm, I don't want to look 60 when I'm only 40. I'm not 40, by the way, I'm older. I'm 46, but I don't want to, you know, I, I want to look like a healthy 40 something year old. Yeah. And it makes sense. Everyone wants to look, wants to look younger. Everyone wants to keep their youth. Everyone wants like, they want to delay the process as long as they can. Yeah. Um, so it makes sense. The last question I'm going to ask you, Joy, is what is the best skincare advice you've ever received? You probably already answered it. <laughs> <laughs> No, actually, it's one I didn't say. The best piece of skincare advice I ever received was don't wash your face in the morning. Really? You know, so, yes, because you in the in the night, you're not like 
you know, no one's putting makeup on your face in the night. You're not excessively, most people are not excessively sweating at night. Even if you do sweat a lot at night, that's okay. Just put a toner on, just wash your face with some water, but don't wash your face in the morning because you're stripping off those natural oils. You're impacting that skin microbiome, especially if you're using a cleanser that has all these preservatives because the first or second ingredient in your cleanser is water and water breeds bacteria. Therefore, they have to load it up with preservatives. That's why I didn't mention this in the beginning, but I also have a skincare brand and we use, it's like waterless. So I'm all about, you know, organic products, using plant-based formulas, supporting that like acid alkaline balance. But yeah, stop washing your face in the morning, just at night before you go to bed. Awesome. Joy, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find out about yourself? Where can people find out about the skincare? Where can people find out about you in general? Yeah. So you can find me at Joyous Health on Instagram, on TikTok. So that's J-O-Y-O-U-S Health. Also my website, I have hundreds of free recipes and my plant-based beauty brand is Hello Joyous. So J-O-Y-O-U-S, hellojoyous.com. And we have customers in Ireland, by the way. We do ship across the pond. <laughs> across the pond. Yeah. Well, I what I'll do is I'll put all the links into the show notes. If people want to check out uh, the store, if everyone if people want to buy it, they can click on the link and they can go onto there and they can check out the store. Is that all right? Amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, Joy. Thanks for having me for coming on to the podcast today and sharing some really really cool information around the gut microbiome skin health gut health microplastics fertility hormone health a load of different factors and i know shortly after this podcast has been recorded i'm going to be on joy's podcast talking about a load of different things as well so check that episode out too if you found this episode useful, please do tag us up onto your story. Please leave a review up on iTunes and up on Spotify. And if you're interested in working with myself in a one-to-one capacity, please link, leave a little bit of a DM or click on the link in the show notes. And as always, the biggest thing that I would ever ask for someone who sends, even listens to a second of this podcast, leaving a review up on iTunes and up on Spotify. Uh, because the more people that do that, the more guests I can get on. They, they will drive me on to continue the podcast to maybe who knows 500 episodes and we'll see where we go from there so if you can support it support a small irish business it'll be amazing but thank you so much for listening to the podcast and i hope you enjoyed it